0: out today in exodus chapter 17 exodus 17 our text today will actually be numbers chapter 20 and uh as an editorial note uh i do believe that i might have uh i might have given there might be some adjustments back there with our media people so we'll be okay with that numbers numbers chapter 20 um Excuse me, Exodus 17. Let's start in Exodus seventeen. And uh can you can let's just pray for a second. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are able to speak to your people. And uh so Lord let let us have ears to hear what your spirit has to say. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of the message is Don't Strike the Rock. Um it's said that imitation is the greatest form of flattery, but that's not necessarily the case uh, with self-imitation. Uh, th- there was a time, I remember, when uh, I was with a group of people and this kind of spontaneous joke came out. and I don't even remember the specifics of it, but uh, it was one of those things that I just, I just kind of blurted out. And everyone started dying laughing. I mean, they just started laughing, and it felt good. I mean, I felt funny, and uh I just kind of put that, you know, filed that away in my head. And a couple of months later, I was traveling with a couple of my youth pastor friends, and we were doing some evaluations up in Illinois. And uh, we were at a home group with a lot of young adults and college students. And um I was uh, young in the ministry, and I wanted to impress. Uh, and so when we introduced ourselves, uh, I decided to try to... Reintroduce this successful joke again and I said the joke and it was dead silent. Except for my two friends who had heard it before and they were laughing not at the joke, they were laughing at me because, I mean, it had bombed so hard. And sometimes we're like that. I mean, a joke works out because of the atmosphere, the mood, uh, the situation, uh, but you've heard of tired jokes before. And it's like, oh, man, that guy, that girl, she's running that line again into the ground. Um, there is something about originality. And there's something about uh a freshness, a newness that's important. And imitation being the greatest form of flattery, but not always self-imitation, And unfortunately, in the spiritual world, in the spiritual world, we are posers. We imitate things all the time. We are always trying to reproduce what we've seen, observed, heard about, or experienced in the past. We spiritually would rather take the shortcut of trying to do the same thing twice than to try to do the hard work of hearing the Spirit of the Lord or being sensitive into what God is doing now. And the church, let me just give you a news flash here, the church is not really considered the center of relevancy and creativity. In fact, most churches are stuck. They are stuck in another year and another time. And so... We do the same things over and over again. Have you noticed that people just get stuck sometime? I mean, even in the natural things, I can sometimes see a person and by the way they dress, the way their hair is, music they listen to, maybe even the lingo they use, they're just stuck in another decade. I'm not going to start giving examples here because I'm not exactly the cutting edge of uh you know of trends and things of that nature but it's easy to kind of just get stuck in 1988 or 1963 or whatever you you know that that we we are just limited to that time and and so often in the church we do the same thing we love the music that we loved when we were kids we're not progressing in media we're not progressing in our style of preaching Our sanctuary ambiance, the aesthetics, the church leadership structure that never did work before. But bless God, it's the way we've always done it. and That's the way we'll always do it. We want to repeat the same programs we've always done. Because we like the way it used to be. We like the way it was. And we become creatures of habit. We try to reproduce what God has already done. And In Exodus 17, I want to share with you a story that will give meaning to Numbers chapter 20. In chapter 17 of Exodus, verse 1, it says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin and traveling from the place to place as the Lord commanded. And they came at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So here's a big surprise, verse 2. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. And they said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? I want you to notice in verse 4, I want you to make a mental note that when the people came against Moses at this time, in verse 4, what did he do? He went to the Lord. Moses cried out to the Lord. I want you to remember that. What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Verse 5, And the Lord answered, Moses, walk on ahead of the people. I mean, as leaders, you've got to get ahead of the people. As leaders, you have to go to the place in your church, to the group you lead, to the 242 group you lead, to the Bible class you teach, to the youth you're leading. You've got to get ahead of the people or they're not going to follow you you got to get ahead of them in your heart and in your leadership. So we go on and, and, and it says, walk ahead of the people I'm in verse 5. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of elders and all of Israel. I want you to now to turn to Numbers chapter 20, which is truly our text today. Now, while you're turning to Numbers 20, let me remind you a little bit of what the staff was about. The rod, the rod and the staff was that which validated Moses' leadership to the people. He performed miracle and the rod and the staff represented the authority that Moses had and that was a um, in an ancient world that was a symbolic thing of authority and Moses took uh instead of a king ro- a king's rod he took a shepherd's rod and God made it into a powerful tool that affirmed his leadership and opened the doors for miracle the rod you might want to write this down is a symbol of his authority from God the rod was a physical symbol Of his authority from God. Now we go to Numbers chapter 20. And we'll find here that some time has passed. And we know this is the case right here in verse 1. It says, in the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived in the desert of Zin. And they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. So we know some time had passed because Miriam had died. And that was a sign. God had said, this generation, you will not enter Enter into the promised land when Miriam died, that was just a sign that God was faithful to his word and and that that generation was not going to enter. Now, here's the important part. Let's start in verse two. Verse two of Numbers 20. Now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and they quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or or promer? Oh, man, sorry. And there, you know, there's just some words you can't get there. And there is no water to drink. Verse six, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them the Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. This is sounding really familiar, isn't it? Here's the difference. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. And you will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff, he took that authority, that visible authority he had from God from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He's in obedience so far. In verse 10, and he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. This is like deja vu here. This is this this is very familiar. And he and Aaron gathered assembly together. I'm in verse 10. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? And then Moses raised his arm and he struck the rock twice with his staff. And water gushed out, and the community and their livestock livestock drank twelve. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he showed himself holy among them. There's a a couple of observations that that I want to make to you as we unfold this passage. And I want to encourage you to don't strike the rock. When God tells you to speak to a rock, don't strike it. And the first thing I want you, if you're taking notes, to write down is God has a particular word for a particular time. God has a particular word for a particular time. If you look in verse 8 of Numbers 20, Moses took the staff in the Lord's presence just Excuse me, in verse 8, it says, Take the staff and your brother Aaron and gather the assembly together. It was very familiar. It was exactly, almost exactly verbatim what had happened in Exodus 17. And everything was going just as the formula. You know, we love formulas with God. We love for God to do exactly what... We want him to do that. It's a predictable and it's safe. And we want the equation to happen the exact way in our time, the way we want it to happen. And things were looking familiar. But God had a particular word for a particular time. It didn't matter what he had did earlier. Earlier, he had told him, you take the rock and you, uh, you take the rod and you strike the rock and water is going to come out. But look at me in verse eight. He says, take the staff, you and your brothers, Aaron. Gather the assembly together and speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out water. Can I tell you that? It felt familiar. It seemed like the same situation. It was much of the same process. Yet, God had given a particular word for a particular season for a particular time. You know, so many times I think that we often... We think we have God figured out. We think we have it down. We've been around. We've seen things before. We can tell the stories. We can write the articles. We have the experience. And things seem to be going just the way they used to go. And the process is unfolding just the way that we're comfortable. And everything's going just the way we're used to. But at the end, God has given a particular word for a particular situation for a particular time. And I just want to tell you that if we as a church want to be everything God wants us to be, and if you as an individual want to be everything God wants you to be, then you have to realize that trusting God means that he will take you sometimes through a familiar process. And at the end of the process, he has changed the instructions just slightly. He has Cause the process to change just a little bit because he wants you to trust in him. He doesn't want you to trust in a formula. He doesn't want, he want, doesn't want you to trust in a process. He doesn't want you to trust in your experience. He wants you to trust him. And we feel very comfortable. We want to strike the rock because we struck it once before and it's safe and it doesn't take risk and it is repetitive. It's very secure for us, but that doesn't mean that's the will of God. And you know, all the time I encounter speakers who, and, and, and uh, evangelists, or whatever you want to call them, who begin to market the move of God. God's done something sovereign. God's done something amazing. God's done something fresh and real and unique. And now they're trying to market and reproduce it. And when that happens, there's just something tainted about it. There's just something not right. There's just something that 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 just seems less of God. I love what Second Corinthians chapter six verse two says. He says, "In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I tell, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation." God has a particular word for a particular time. He, the Holy Spirit, is our guide. He's our teacher. He wants to come into our lives and to move in the situation we are in today. You know, when we look to the past, we need to look in rearview mirrors. You glance to see what's behind you, but you look ahead. I mentioned this Wednesday, some of us are so enamored with our past. We're just looking at the past and wanting the past to be reproduced. We can't see where God wants to take us today. We can't see what what today's going on. We don't see that there's a now. There's a new work that God is doing. You know, it's interesting to me that Moses probably got presumptuous because the crowd was watching him. He probably got presumptuous because... Everyone was expecting a miracle the second time. First time, they were just thirsty. They were just desperate. The second time, they were expecting something spectacular. Write it down. The eyes of the crowd many times influences us more than the voice of God. God had said, speak to the rock, but the crowd wanted to see it struck again. The crowd had seen it once before. The rod had struck it, and so the spectacle had gathered. They had gathered around to see something. When I was uh, in early high school, uh, I pre- I had a chance to preach to my youth group. Our youth group was not in good shape at all. And and I, I really prayed, and I was scared to death, and I just felt led to, to speak, and I had a word from the Lord, and, and um, I came up and speak. And I'm telling you this as an illustration not to be uh, braggadocious or prideful or anything like that. But because of God's hand and God's anointing, uh, I spoke this particular night. didn't even have my driver's license then. And the Spirit of God moved in a way that I'm still, when I was thinking about this this morning, I'm still surprised to this day. I Me mean, was heavy. And it was a heavy word. It was a prophetic word. It was a word that went right into people's spirit. And, uh, God did something, something amazing, amazing that night. Amazing that night. And my youth pastor was out of town and he got picked up from the airport and they brought him back from the airport. It was just amazing. Well, a few weeks went by and, uh, I had a chance to speak again. And this time, uh, there, I felt uh, I felt something, you know. I feel the words sometimes before they come out, and I, I felt this in, kind of encouraging word to come along and say, come on, let's go, you know, let, let's move together, let's do something great for God, like a uh, an exhorting word. And this time, the difference was, the first time I preached, I was obscure. I was just that quiet kid in the youth group. Now people have been talking. Parents had been talking. There was an expectation, and I had a word from God. And my youth pastor's wife, a wonderful woman, now that I'm in the ministry, I understand, though, probably where she was coming from now. She took me aside one day and she said, Aaron, nail them this time. Man, our kids need to be shooken up. They need to hear it. They need to hear it strong. They need to hear the word strong. Remember I told you I had this encouraging message I felt? So I got up there and I tried to reproduce what had happened before. And I was aggressive Maybe a little angry, a little bit confrontational. those things aren't bad when the spirit of god is is giving you the unction for that, but this was not the spirit of God, and uh the service in it was just dead, it was just religion it, it there wasn't that sense that God's doing something great and uh i I didn't like that feeling and 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 I said i'll ever want to have that feeling again and and I don't ever want to go through that again. And, you know, to this day, sometimes I remember uh, another time when the same type of situation where I was going up to speak and I'm walking through the crowd. It was a crowd like this. And, and people are patting me on the back saying, sick. This one guy said, sick of Aaron, sick him. <laughs> I was like, what? What in the world is that all about? And so you kind of as a speaker, you know, you feel this pressure. Because a lot of people want their word heard, but they don't want God's word heard. You know, can I tell you, though, you can strike the rock you can strike it in anger like Moses did, but it's not the will of God. It's not what he wants. You see, Moses came to the people and he did what a lot of pastors did. Remember me telling you that the first time I told you to take note that in chapter 17, verse four, he went to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. Well, he did this the same here in Numbers chapter 20. But the difference was is in verse 10. He did what a lot of pastors have done before. He got mad at the people. And he was angry. And you've probably been in the service before where the attendance is low. And it's those faithful core people that never miss that are there. And the pastor gets ticked off. And so he gets up there and he yells at the people who are there. Because he's mad at the people who are not there. Isn't that crazy? And... Here it was that it's the same type of situation. Moses is, is mad and he's angry. And so look at Numbers chapter 20, verse 10. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. I can smell the brimstone right now. The anger. Moses was angry at the people. Listen, you rebels. We must bring you water out of this rock. So what he did then, in verse eleven, he took the rod, that thing that validated his authority, the thing that opened the door for him, the thing that symbolized God's hand on his life, and he used it out of anger. He used his authority inappropriately. He used it in an angry way, and he struck the rock. But he didn't just do it once; he struck it twice. He struck the rock twice. He disobeyed God because God said, speak to that rock. He did that, I believe, because the eyes of the crowd were greater than the voice of God. He wanted to impress. He wanted to please. He wanted to uh, repeat what God had already done. I'm going to make the move of God a formula. And I, he, this is how, this is how God moves. Bless God. He does it the same way. This is how God does it. He did it this way before. Take that rock and strike it twice. When God said, God didn't want the people to look at the symbol of the rod as the authority. They wanted the people to hear the spoken word as the authority. Because God moves to the spoken word. And yet, Moses forfeited that because of his anger. And this is what happened. Look again at verse 12. water The interesting thing in verse 11, water gushed out. And the community, they were able to drink. So even though Moses disobeyed God, he disobeyed God, but yet God just still sent the water. Isn't that strange? Isn't that interesting? And we see in verse 12 of Numbers 20, the Lord said to Moses, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, You will not bring this community into the land I'm giving them. Can I can I tell you this? It's a strange occurrence, but many times, number three, God will bless his people despite of our disobedience. Not all the time, but many times. You see, the need didn't change. The people were still thirsty. The people still needed water. The people were going to die without water. The leader disobeyed, but the people still got blessed. Now isn't that strange? Now it doesn't always work that way. Because bad leadership affects people, bad leadership damages people, bad leadership hurts people. But in this instance, in this instant, even though Moses disobeyed God, the people still got watered. You know, all of the time I hear of people, well, uh, well, uh, people who have been healed, people who have been uh, spoken over, people who have been saved through powerful ministries, and then we find out later that the man or woman, the vessel. Wasn't right with God. And not just not right with God after the occurrence, but they weren't right with God during the occurrence. You know what? Ministry is not about the individual. It's about the people. So can I tell you, those of you who have talents and gifts and abilities and think that you can get away with sin and God is still blessing and using you, he's doing it not because of you. He's doing it because he wants to bless his people. And he will deal with you. He will deal with you. Because he dealt with Moses. He said, Moses, he, the water came out of the rock, but Moses didn't enter the promised land. God dealt, God blessed the people and released the people, but Moses didn't enter the promised land. That's one of the reasons I think that at the judgment day that many will say, Lord, didn't we just do all this stuff for you? We prophesied in your names and we cast out demons and did all this. And he'll say, But I never knew you. Why? Because he blesses his people despite of our disobedience. Here's the last thing I want to share with you. We are blessed when we embrace what God is doing today instead of trying to duplicate what God did yesterday. The way to be blessed, the way to enter the promised land, the way to be right where God wants you to be is to embrace what he's doing today instead of trying to duplicate what he did yesterday.